This is Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. This week, Talking TV is brought to you by pop-up post firm The Finish Line. Dealing with everything from consulting to full post and delivery, they've worked on shows including First Dates and Hunted. Hello and welcome to Talking TV. As you may have noticed, I'm not Peter White or Jake Cantor, but Alex Farber, Broadcast Web Editor. On this week's show, we explore the row that has erupted between Discovery and Sky over channel carriage and discuss the first sale of one of Channel 4's growth fund indies, True North to Sky. We also chalk up ahead of history's latest commission, Ronnie O'Sullivan's American Hustle, with history boss Rachel Job and North One chief executive Neil Duncanson to talk about the travelogue. But first, the news. Joining me in the studio is Broadcast Features Editor Robin Parker. One of the week's biggest stories has been the dispute between Discovery and Sky over carriage fees. Robin, can you bring us up to speed with what's been happening? Yeah, well, it um, it broke late on uh, Wednesday night that Discovery is, is, is basically telling its customers on, on air and, you know, by speaking to publications like us, that it's uh, it may well pull all its channels from the Sky platform. Now, this is in um, response to what it sees as an unfair price for, for, for the channels as far as uh, with Sky. In fact, the price it's saying is lower than it was 10 years ago, while p- performance-wise, its portfolio is doing pretty well. And since then, of course, Sky has waded in to say it disputes that particular claim. Yeah, it's been a quite an unusual situation. I mean, usually these carriage deals are conducted behind closed doors, aren't they, mm. Robin? But what's happened here is they've gone public and effectively Discovery's claimed that it isn't paid what it's owed by Sky for the co- for the content that it produces. I mean, we're in a situation here whereby 12 channels, Eurosport, Discovery, etc., could come off the Sky platform at the end of the month. That's the situation no one wants, I guess. No, it does seem very unfair to customers, you know, whatever the size of audience. And there's very little hard figures coming out from either side yet, as yet. You know, this is a portfolio of largely factual channels. Sky itself is doing a bit less factual now than it, than it has done in the past. And various factual commissioners have, have left recently. And so this sort of, you know, sort of internationally renowned suite of channels, which has a arguably a, a smallish but a fairly um, committed audience, um, may no longer be on there. And particularly at a time when they've, you know, they've just gone quite, had quite a high-profile launch in the last week with Idris Elba, uh, which has done, you know, not gangbusters numbers, but, but good for, for, for Discovery and has certainly, you know, got them talked about and got them picks of the week in the, in the day's uh, TV listings and that sort of thing. I would imagine perhaps you know, discussions of shows of that kind of profile may well have been part of this. Well, I think, I mean, my understanding of the situation, having spoken to, um, you know, Sky, is that... One of the issues is that while those big high-profile shows such as Idris Elba and Cake Boss and Say Yes to the Dress continue to rate well, I'm not sure that Sky sees value in having a portfolio of 12 Discovery channels, some of which do not rate as well. Um, channels like ID, channels like Discovery Shed, not a lot of original programming there, not cutting through particularly. Discovery, on the other hand, will only offer or appears to be in a position where it only wants the platforms to offer the whole suite of channels. Do you think that's a realistic expectation? Do you think that broadcasters will have to, you know, give some ground and move to a position whereby they only offer these skinny bundles? Uh, possibly. Like you say, Discovery is it's, it's, it's very much an, an all, or, all or nothing thing and they will be looking to talk about their own portfolio share and so on. Um, but, you know, we've seen it 
in an odd way, the other way around, where where Sky has, has held one of its premium channels off of the Virgin platform with Sky Atlantic, for example. So there are tactical plays in both directions. Um, it's true. Uh, you know, a portfolio like Discoveries or like UK TVs, there are you know there's sort of a handful of channels within that that are the killer channels for them, and they're the ones that that, that kind of. Um, are the other flag bearers for their content, and some of the others are a bit are a bit quieter. But I, I guess from their point of view, it's it, it's a case of look, here's what our portfolio brings to you. You know, yes, that may only come mostly come from three or four channels, but but we're offering a, a, a mix of content. Yeah, you mentioned that Sky has got track record of of playing hardball and 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 negotiating regards its channels. Discovery too is definitely getting more aggressive in this space. You know. Um, I think last year it was, it, it pulled its channels from um, some pay platforms across Europe, I think in Germany. Um, it's also not done a deal with TalkTalk Talk here in the UK. So the Discovery channels aren't available with um, with TalkTalk. Talk. So this appears to be a position whereby Discovery is no longer willing to accept terms that previous, perhaps previously it may well have done and, and starting to you know flex its muscles a little bit more. Definitely. And I think, you know, this is very much two big beasts locking horns. And I, I think with the, uh, you know, the increasing number of these large operators having a foothold in the UK, you may well see this a bit more, a bit more, a bit more hardball playing. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see what the, what the fallout from this, from this is, where, you know, would Discovery ultimately slim down its sky offering or, or, you know, flounce off, which would, which I guess would be to BT and Virgin's, uh, it, it, it would be favourable to BT and Virgin, which are still offering them. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, Sky obviously is, you know, 10, 11 million homes. Virgin and BT combined are maybe, what, five, six? So then you're in a position whereby you're asking yourself, can Discovery run a sustainable business without those 10, 11 million Sky homes with, on, just on, just on um, BT and Virgin, as well as, you know, will it have to offer, will it have to look D to C? Will it have to look to offer... Dish channels like Eurosport, channels like Discovery, perhaps as OTT on-demand services via, you know, the internet and apps. I mean, that that's a it's a risky strategy, but it's a potential route to market. Yeah, particularly for something like Eurosport. Um, I, I do think, well, I do think though, you know, from their point of view, you, you have Sky saying we don't recognise your measures of success. We don't recognise that you have any any shows in our top hundred. I think it was. It just does seem a bit odd because there are there, you know there are certain not a huge number, but there are there are you know a, a number of shows which are which clearly have a following and have a fan. Like um, Gold Rush, for example, which is you know, regularly putting on three or four hundred thousand on a, in a, in overnights. A large portion of which must be coming uh, via the Sky platform, is it? That's in, in more homes. It does seem a, a little bit disingenuous of Sky to say, to say, you know, they're doing nothing for us. They're they're clearly doing something for them. And I think in that factual space, which Sky is is not exiting yet, but is certainly doing less in. You know, this is a a, a suite of channels that are, that are a sizable portion of customers, and I would imagine particularly sort of ABC One customers who are looking out for factual content may well want to find. Well, let's hope the situation gets resolved for all parties and for viewers, I guess. Moving on, True North. So these were True North Leeds-based indie. These were one of the first indies that Channel 4 invested in as part of its growth fund. Um, Last week, Sky, again, came along and bought True North, um, as a result of which it picked up um, Channel 4's 23% stake in the company. What were your thoughts about this deal, Robin? Um, well, I think it's good news all around. I mean, it's good news for for Channel Four in that it's sort of it's proving the case for its investment. You know, 
it was quite canny in investing in True North in the first place. You know, it's a mixed model, the Channel 4 Growth Fund. There are some fledgling one-man bands and there are some more established companies. True North is kind of in that, in that medium space. It was clearly on the upper bit, but needed that that extra leg up it's a regional company it's got a hand you know a handful of good formats without you know one or two real defining brands um and in the period when it's when it's had some support from channel four you know it has got to the next stage and it's become a very attractive prospect um i mean channel four said to us you know initially they were looking at five years plus but they would never rule out you know selling selling their companies their stakes in in less time than that uh, and clearly you know they've, they've performed well in, in this time Looking ahead to the Indy survey, it looks as if True North, which I know is coming out shortly, the broadcast Indy survey is coming out shortly, it looks as if True North is going to report revenues of, of 12 million up from 9.5 million um, in 2015. And what's interesting is that as well as boosting it financially, the creative director Andrew Sheldon has said it's also gained a lot of industry IQ by being connected to Channel 4. I mean, do you think that um, Indies benefit beyond the financial stakes by being connected to the growth fund? Um, I think so. I think, you know, again, this is a regional company. So, you know, it's it's put them on a a slightly um, higher footing there. When I've when I've spoken to Indies about the growth fund and when they've talked to us for the Indie survey and so on about the growth fund, a lot of it is about. You know they're investing in people. They they're able to just just raise their game that that little bit by having that, that that little bit of extra cash injection. They can create a job role and poach someone from the outside who can who can do good business for them. You know it just gives it just gives them that that slightly surer footing. I think. And what do you think? I mean, Channel Four is obviously invested in you know a few dozen, a couple of dozen indies as part of the growth fund. It's now appears some of those stakes appear to be maturing. Do you think, I mean, is this a viable model for Channel 4? Is it a, is it a, a profit-making enterprise or is this, um, does this have wider, do they have wider aims beyond simply exiting companies that they invest in for a profit? Yes, there, there are profits involved, which they say in this case, they, they, are, they are putting back in to top up the growth fund for future investments. They're not saying how much though, are they? They're not saying how much, no. Um, but of course, you, know, you are nurturing your supply base. For a lot of, for a lot of Indies, Channel 4 is, is one of the first bases for, for ideas. And if you are helping you know, these companies be sustainable and you are rewarding some sort of loyalty, they will want to come and pitch their, their, their best ideas to you. Um, and I think companies of all sizes are benefiting from that. Clearly, eyebrows are raised when some of the companies they're investing in are perhaps producers who've exited large Indies who already have a fairly sizable reputation um, and, are, and are now launching their own company where the questions may be, you know, why do they need uh, as much support? But certainly for, you know, a, a maturing a company like True North or some of the startups they've got, it does feel like that leg up is, is sort of just nurturing them creatively and giving them that extra that extra bit of confidence. Um, and then from Sky's point of view, you know, they've got Love, they've got Blast, they've got True North, they've got some quite quite sort of solid format creators and factual and factual entertainment companies there. Um, it certainly seems to fit into the mould of the companies that they've invested in so far at, at a certain level. Well, these deals are being done coming through Sky Vision, I think, the distribution arm, um, Jay Millerchip's distribution arm. So clearly they're looking at uh, picking up these indies that are going to create formats that they can then sell internationally. So that's clearly a strategy that, yeah, that, that seems to be, they seem to be um, ploughing. Yeah, and for those indies, yeah, that, that is a consolidation of, of their distribution as well. They've got, you know, one bigger hitter with a bigger portfolio um, selling their goods rather than perhaps, you know, dividing it between three or four. Mm. And look out for more deals to come in uh, 2017, Channel 4 is saying. Mm-hmm. 
Next, we queue up Ronnie O'Sullivan's American Hustle, a four-part series following snooker star Rocket Ronnie as he heads to the US to hustle Paul. The show, produced by all three media's North One Television, sees O'Sullivan and ITV Sports commentator Matt Smith travel to cities including Chicago and Memphis and play different pool sharks. Joining me in the studio are History Director of Programming Rachel Job and North One Television's Chief Executive Neil Duncanson. Hello, guys. Hello there. Hi there. We've got a couple of clips from the show to give you a taste of what it's all about. Six-time world champ Earl still shoots Paul at his local hall in Queens. This place is like the Pearl's front room. Playing him here is a daunting prospect, and he's keen to make sure everyone knows who's boss. Hey, Ronnie. Earl. Last time I saw you was in Reno. I saw it, yeah. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. IPT. Reno, Nevada. You teach me how to break. I smartened you up. (laughs) Believe me. It was good that he ran into me. It was meant to be. Because okay. I smartened him up to keep on punishing those guys a little longer. And then I got these fingers now. These yeah. things. Yeah, what are they? These things are genius. They really are. What happens as you get older, you can't stay still no more. <laughs> Ask Steve Davis. He knows. Yeah. I bet you Steve knows, don't he? Yeah, you talk to him lately. He's retired now. Yeah, what I'm saying. He can't yeah. stay still no, no more. No, no, no. That's what happens, yeah. you know. There's people making millions of dollars that can't even tie my shoes, I'm telling you. I'm one of the greatest athletes that's ever been born. Rachel, why don't you kick off by telling us how the format came about? Actually, we were just talking about that because it's almost three years to the day, I think, give or take a week or so, that Neil and I first started talking about this. We actually had a meeting to discuss fifth gear at the time. Um, Neil's company, Northwell, were making two series of fifth gear for us. And then and then we had the meeting and then we both got changed in the toilet, separate toilets. And then, and then we actually went off to the Broadcast Awards and on the walk over to... Um, the venue, uh, Neil said, and what else are you looking for? And that's when I started talking about our sort of um, celebrity talent strategy around bringing big famous names to the channel to draw attention and quite like the idea of working with sports people. And that's when Neil said, "Mm, we've been talking to Ronnie O'Sullivan. And I was like, where can I sign? (laughs) So at that point, was the concept fleshed out? Had you, did you know it was a travel log? Was it a snoot? Was it a pool related thing, Neil? What conversations had you had? I'd love to be able to tell you it was brilliantly thought out in advance but of course that would be a lie um no we we were always on the lookout for sports stars um who have something else to say and there aren't many let's be honest most of them are as dull as ditch water we've been lucky with guy martin uh and and he translated well from from motorcycle racing but and freddie flintoff has done well i, I think on on sky so they are few and far between um but we found with ronnie he had something else about him, and he is, he is quite different to other sports stars. Um, he had very different upbringing, uh, and even if you meet him for five minutes, you can tell he's a little bit different from, from everybody else. After Rachel had said that they were looking for something with, with sports star, we connected the two, and it took probably a few months to kind of flesh out uh, a format, which we felt had to include some kind of Q sport. History had undergone another transformation in terms of wanting to do more history. So then it was a combination of, of a tour that involved some kind of historic journey and some pool playing. And that's when the American format came to life. So you say sports, you're looking on the hunt for sports stars and, and that they can be difficult to, to get the right face, to get the right characteristics. What is it that's important? I mean, presumably it can't just be anything. What, what, what attributes does a, a, a talent, piece of talent have to have to, to, to be able to you know, front a four-part series? 
I think it's really important for us that the talent that we work with is really credible to our audience and really relatable. So someone like Ronnie, you know, he's he's lived a little, but he's extremely successful at what he does and he's come out the other side. And I think, you know, literally one of the filters we said was if you walked up to a bloke in the street and said, what do you think of X? And they said, legend. Um, that was kind of quite an important factor for us. So, we, you know, we've worked in the past with Sean Bean. Um, we've done work with Johnny Vaughan and Sean Ryder. And it really felt that those kind of guys are people that you do want to talk to about history. You know, what we're not looking for is an academic. We're not looking for a professor. We're not looking for a, the kind of guy that you might associate with a, a history school teacher. What we're looking for is someone who who is kind of a new school teacher and actually running a campaign at the moment called Meet Your New History Teacher. And the idea is that everyone can be a history teacher and actually it doesn't have to be the kind of guy that you thought, you know, should be your school teacher. So do you have a hit list? Is there other people that are on your wish? Who would be on your wish list? I don't want to mention too many names because we are talking to a few. We've worked with quite a few different people in the past, as I've mentioned, but we are talking to a few more and I don't kind of... But it's pe- I think the key thing is it's men, not necessarily men, but it's predominantly men that we're, we're looking at who have have done something that's slightly out of the ordinary. And if you look at Ronnie, he's a bit of a maverick. That's quite an important part. He's a little bit of a rebel. We've done some work with Freddie Flintoff as well. I think he's another good example of how he's transcended his sport. You know, he's a household name, but he's kind of more than just a sportsman and certainly, you know, very credible amongst our audience. So three years ago, we're now on air. When are we on air, Rachel? Thursday the 26th. 10pm? And it's at 10pm, yeah. Three years is a long time. What took so long? Even by normal broadcaster standards, it's quite a long time. It wasn't down to history or or any shortcoming on their part. It was just trying to get Ronnie in the right space. The first go-round, he was quite intrigued by the whole thing and then just got cold on the whole prospect of doing television Hmm. and then went off and started playing again. Played more tournaments at a time when he was thinking he was actually going to slow up a little bit. And then about a year later, I got a phone call uh, saying that he'd got a new agent. He'd gone to uh, CAA and we met with with him. They said, actually, you know, he's quite interested in TV again. And we said, okay, well, if he is, why don't you pop in and we'll have a chat? And in fairness, they did. And that's where it all kicked off. So we kind of lost the initial year. Um, And then we spent the following year kind of working out what we were going to do. And then the year after that, actually doing it. Yeah. You mentioned there was a year when he got cold on the project and then came back to it. I mean, as Rachel says, he is known as a bit of a maverick and a bit of a a character, certainly. I mean, in production, is he a difficult person to manage? I mean, how did you find working with him as a piece of talent on camera? He was a joy to work with and him getting cold feet wasn't about a project per se. It was just the notion of doing television at all. Uh, And I think his head at the time was he wanted to get back playing more snooker. And then he did that for a bit, got himself to a point where... Again, he was unbeatable and then decided to put his head up and have another look at, at other things. So, as you know, he's written a book. He's now done this TV show. He's probably going to write another book. We're looking at other TV shows. So suddenly he's realised that he quite enjoys all of this. So he's now trying to find a sensible balance in his world uh, of tying all these things together. When we worked with him, once we all agreed what we were going to do, he was an absolute joy. He's got such an inquiring mind anyway. He was a perfect presenter for this show, for history, because he was always asking the right questions. Karom Billiards is better known as three cushion, so-called because points are scored by hitting or karoming your cue ball into the other two balls using at least three cushions. Yeah. Two cue balls. One of us will play with the white ball. Yeah. One of us will play with the yellow ball. But before you hit the second ball, you have to have at least hit three cushions. Yeah. And the other ball. The game is all about patterns. You'll see, you'll start seeing... Um, So there's 
situation where you're hitting all the cushions first. And this is an old game. This this is older than pool. It started out as a lawn game. Yeah. I mean, billiards, right? As you as you know, and then the French removed the pockets. Yeah. And then the English colonies, they kept the pockets, yeah. made the table bigger, right? Yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. That's how we got snooker. And that's how we got snooker. One, two, three, four, and red. Is that gonna make it? Wow. Wow, I can't believe that. It is that's incredible. Well. Believe it. I mean, how critical was it to have Matt as a sort of foil, as a sort of straight man and a, and a guide, if you will? That's how it felt to me. I mean, was that a conscious decision? Was it always going to be the pair of them or what, what, how did that come about? Yeah, I mean, you know, with Neil, we talked a lot at the beginning about, you know, whether he needed a, a buddy. And I think very early on we felt he did, partly because he'd never done anything like this before, but also suddenly you become somebody road trip and that's a completely different dynamic and actually really entertaining dynamic. Uh, Matt Smith was his suggestion. They're really good mates. We were very happy with that. I think, you know, his experience in front of the camera is, is really, really valuable. If anything, we had to pull him back, I think, a little bit in terms of, you know, relax, Matt. You don't, you know, we want you to be yourself, you know. But both him and Ronnie, you know, they get along so well and you can tell that that's, that's a completely genuine on screen. And so, yeah, right from the beginning, we thought this is a buddy movie. Mm. I mean, you've got a lot of experience with buddy movies, if you will, because obviously, if you don't mind me mentioning another show, Travel Man, which is a, a constant for Channel 4, which is a constant stream of buddy weekends. Uh, is, is there certain ingredients that they have to have? I mean, when it comes to dynamic, do you know straight away? What's the? I'm interested in your opinion of how you set up a buddy show well, using, and how these two work together, I guess. Sure. Well, a Travel Man, as an example, works best when they when they get on really well or don't get on really well, and it works it works well both ways. What you don't want is vanilla. And I think what we had with Ronnie and Matt is a, is a strong relationship. They, they were mates, as Rachel said. And we said to Matt, look, you need to kind of lead him along a little bit and then know when to let him go. And I think Matt is such a pro that he knew when to do that. And it was like having another producer on the show in a sense that when we were in the middle of sequences, he, Matt knew instinctively when to kind of duck back and let Ronnie go uh, on his own or when to give him a shove uh, or when to prompt him to, to have a look at something different. It feels like a hybrid programme between a bit of a travel log, a bit of a sports doc, a bit of a, a historical um, guide, a bit of a history show. Was that an intentional? Did you set out to make it in that way or is that just how the programme evolved? We probably, probably a bit of both is the answer. I mean, we did talk a lot about the editorial, as you would do with, you know, with something with a commission like this, very early, on, very early on about what we would do. And actually, it was really important for us that it wasn't just a kind of show that you could see on any channel. It's the show, the show belonged on history. And history was running right through its core. And it had to be genuine history that, that Ronnie and Matt were interested in. So, you know, they go to Ellis Island and New York. You know, Ronnie is a second-generation immigrant to this country. His mother's Italian. So he's really, really interested in immigration to the US. So, he, you know, you take him to Ellis Island and him and Matt are genuinely enjoying that ride. So I think, you know, making sure there was plenty of history in the show was very important to us. But also, I think, that you know, that the games, the, the actual matches that they play, you know, both the hustling attempts, um, some of which are successful, some of which are less successful, but also... Every, you know, Neil was very key, very keen that we had a big match in every episode and at, in the finale, and it really makes a difference. Yeah, I think that was key. Uh, if there was a line that uh, we sold to everybody, um, it was uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan goes to America and hustles everyone at pool, and no one knows who he is. And everyone lent into that. Everyone thought, "Oh, that's quite cool. That's fun." But on its own, it wouldn't have been enough. 
so that extra layer of Americana and travelogue, in which he's genuinely interested, whether it's uh, going to Ellis Island, as Rachel says, or firing a machine gun from the Valentine's Day Massacre, or going to Al- Alcatraz or the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis or Elvis's house. Um, they're all pool-connected, but it does give you a genuine sense of American history at the same time. Obviously, it's a big commission for you guys, and it was interesting that Kremplewood came on board. Uh, how was it to work with those guys? Really, really good, actually. I mean, I think the key thing for us is that we commission shows that we want to do. We don't commission shows because Kremplewood might offer us the money. So uh, we were absolutely commissioning this show anyway, um, through conversations with Kremplewood around another show, actually, that, that never, never actually came about. We then said, well, perhaps you can help us part fund this show as well. And I think the key thing for us and, and also, you know, for us to take Cramplewood to Neil is that they um, they don't have any editorial involvement. And that's the one thing that no one ever really wants to give up. Um, sometimes maybe you have to, but in this case, we didn't have to. So actually, it was, re- you know, they're really great to work with. They're a perfect partner. They came with the money and then stepped back and let you get on with it. Yeah. <laughs> and they made the show. Would the show have happened without them? Well, what was the budget? Around 150 grand? And that's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We were pretty much going to make it anyway. And as I said before, we, we commissioned shows that we want to make. Um, but what this means is now we can commission more shows that we want to make. Oh, we, I see what you mean. So the budget for this show was the same regardless. Yes. And then, but then you can now invest that money, additional money into other projects that yeah. you would have spent. Yeah. And Cramperwood don't fully fund, for, uh, in our case at least. So, or in this case. Um, so, yeah, it does mean that we can sort of spread our budget a bit further. Understood. And Neil, you've got experience of working with um, co-production partners. How do you find the experience? Well, it was absolutely seamless for us because we, apart from a couple of initial meetings, um, we didn't get involved with, with either of them and they dealt with A&E directly. Um, the show was funded the way it had been promised in the first place. Uh, it made no difference to us at all. We work with a, a variety of alternative funding providers uh, Infinitum is is one of them. They they obviously help uh, with the funding on the Gadget Show on Channel Five. In fact, Infinitum are largely the ex sales team from commercial team from Channel Five back in the day, so they know their way around. Um, and increasingly, I think as budgets get tighter and broadcasters find it more difficult to fund shows, they'll become more prevalent. Just bringing it back to the sort of travel log format again, and to an extent funding. I mean, it's an interesting format, and it's a been something that's worked as a device for storytelling for for many years now is it just a case of paying for a celebrity to go on holiday or has this has the format emerged has it evolved in any ways and how is how do you see travelogues as having developed over the years in which they've been on screen i don't think ronnie will um will ever tell you it was a holiday we we shot the whole thing uh, in three weeks and and we were doing 12 14 hour days uh, and the one thing he did say at the end of it was i had no idea it was so tough in fact, if we do another series of Ronnie, as seems likely, um, we'll probably try and do it over a longer period. That said, he really enjoyed the process. He had no idea. In fact, he said to us at the start, I don't even know if I'm going to enjoy doing this. But he did, even though it was hard work, he did. But yeah, I don't think he would ever think it was a holiday. And I think the minute that happened, if that were to happen in any show, you wouldn't get any value from it. You mentioned there might be room for a second series. Is that something you're thinking about with Ronnie? Would it be a different a different person in the same mould? Would it be a different location? What What are your thoughts? I mean, we're always, as I said, you know, I said earlier, we're always talking to different talent, and we are still talking to, to other talent. Um, and I should mention, um, what, you know, while we're here, we on the back of Ronnie, we're launching um, Brief History of Football with Alfie Allen. 
who is obviously very well known for being in Game of Thrones. I think he's up for an Emmy at the moment. So he's doing two-parter on football for us, made by Woodcut Media. But um, in terms of more Ronnie, I think, you know, we'll see We'll see how it goes. Um, you know, he's been a dream to work with. I mean, you've seen the amount of uh, press and activity we've got. North One have been fantastic, produced a brilliant show. So I think, but we, you know, from, from our point of view, we've got to look at the numbers before we make any, any more. But um, you never know. Well, we'll see how we get on in... 28 days or so when the consolidated viewing's in. I mean, you're getting this nice plug on Sky, so that's going to help. The other thing I meant to mention was there's been that funny viral clip doing the rounds <laughs> of Ronnie falling over. In San Francisco. Playing yeah. VR pool. Yeah. Is that genuine? Absolutely. It was one of the last things we shot on the last city on the tour. So just tell us what happens, Neil, just to bring people well, up the, to Well, the idea was to tell the history of America through the history of pool. So a, a kind of obvious end game was, well, where's the future of pool? So in San Francisco, Silicon Valley's down the road. And so we took him to one of the big VR specialists who were putting together a VR pool game. And so he played that. So he had the headset on. And because it was so realistic, he genuinely t attempted to lean on a virtual table and fell over. Uh, and we've been asked for that clip so many times now. It's become hugely popular on the internet. I mean, how important is it to have little moments like that that do get picked up on social, that do raise the awareness of a show in order to help a programme cut through? Yeah, really, really important. And, that, and that's a dream clip. I mean, man falls over, you know, is always going to work. In that instance, I think, we, you know, we were given, given a gem and, um, there, you know, but there are lots of other brilliant clips. And I think, you know, we have a team of people whose job it is to sift through and find out the, find those clips. And obviously we work quite closely with production company to sort of be aware of things that might be happening or press hooks. So we can do it, particularly when you're working with talent whose availability might not be, they can just be available for press, press interviews at a drop of a hat. You have to sort of fit them in. Ron has been particularly good on this, but it's not always the case that you can do that so you have to be really smart about how you promote the show obviously in traditional press but also online and that's a lot for talking tv which this week was sponsored by the finish line who recently finished work on walking the americas october film's latest leveson wood series for channel 4 i'm alex the producer was lucy Dearlove, and the show is exec produced by matt hill from rethink audio thanks to rachel neil and robin you've been listening to broadcast talking tv recorded at maple street studios 